Welcome to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and joining us today is Lena Rizgala, financial advisor at Conti Wealth Advisors. Thank you for joining me, Lena. Thanks for having me, Amy. This is exciting. Yes, I can't wait for our audience to hear all about you. And that's a great segue. I always like starting my podcast off with my very favorite question, which is, what is your journey? What did your journey look like coming into the financial services arena? Uh, that's a great question. And I think it's definitely not one that was like a linear journey. <laughs> I started, you know, um, as a, as a, as an attorney, actually, um, when I was in you know, growing up, my parents were immigrants. So I was a first generation Palestinian American. My parents came over from, you know, from Palestine and they had very little education. And so they, my dad was like, and, you know, I think he went to eighth grade. My mom went to nursing school when she was like 14. Um, her parents were refugees. So it was definitely in our house was a big like um, insistence on education. And so we had to go to college. I went and I studied political science. I minored in you know French and Italian and I really enjoyed it. But I knew I was going to go to law school because I knew that would make my parents really proud. And so when I did go, I, I went with the intention of like, you know, fake focusing on human rights because, you know, I had a real strong sense of justice of speaking for people who can't speak for themselves. Um, but then when I went to law school and took this class on international human rights, I realized, you know what, it's not really enforceable. Like there's probably some dictator that was tried by the International Court of Justice who's like chilling at the Four Seasons in Paris and no one's arresting him. So I switched gears and I became an immigration attorney when I graduated law school. And that was very fulfilling, uh, but it was extremely busy. And, you know, when I really sat down, I thought, you know, what's my future in this in this industry, in this form of law? Because it's the laws are so restrictive. The stories are heartbreaking and there's only so much I could do. And at the time I was I mean, this is such a random thing, but. At the time I was dating this guy who was a, a, like a broker on Wall Street, like in the late 90s. So it was total wolf of Wall Street style. And I was like so fascinated by this. Um, and that was kind of my foray into the financial services, like all the things you could do. And I, as I started looking into it, I was like, wow, this is a very exciting industry. There's so much you can do. It's not just law. It's not just like these, these types of things that you can do. There's so much creativity. There's so much um, so many different things that you can do even throughout your career. So um, I moved to New York City and I got a job just as a com compliance consultant at Goldman Sachs. And that was a great, you know, um, foray into the industry. Um, you know, they just were looking for a lawyer with some type of speaking ability. And since I went to court every week, I think that was it. Um, and from there, and I just kind of went from one step to the next. And I think, um, you know, my, the motto that I've had in my, in my career is like, always say yes, and then figure it out. So I think scrappiness was a big piece of my, you know, kind of building of, of the, of my career is just being scrappy, figuring it out. If there's an opportunity, say yes to it, and then figure out how to do it. And that's basically what I did throughout my career because I didn't really have a financial background, but I started reading the Wall Street Journal and I was like, I don't know what this says, but then I just kept reading it. And then eventually start, things started making sense. And, you know, I just, again, kept like studying and reading and getting my certifications. And, you know, I had some amazing mentors and great, um, worked for some great companies that led me to, to um, Cambridge. So I'm very, I'm very grateful. 
Yeah, I loved it. Your bio actually calls, you call yourself a recovering attorney. So mm -hmm. that fits right into that story. Just a little bit deeper. So how long did you stay on Wall Street? I was at Goldman Sachs for about almost two years. And then I uh, got a job at John Hancock. So it was, it was an annuity company um, that, an annuity distribution arm of John Hancock. So it was something that I absolutely knew nothing about. I was like, what's an annuity? Who's our audience? But they needed somebody who was going to... Um, kind of spearhead the state and charitable giving area of that. So I was more of a subject matter expert for John Hancock and I would travel around to their national conferences, speak at events, talk about like estate planning, CRTs, um, taxation, retirement planning, all these areas that I had to study and learn. Um, and then I, I kind of started knowing, knowing what I was talking about. And then from there, I think they moved to Boston and I decided not to go with them and, you know, kind of took, took a break. I did my own kind of business for a while. I worked with this guy named Andy Friedman, who um, he's been around. Yeah. So I, I'd met him and he was like, well, I'm doing the Washington update and it's very popular. And, you know, maybe you want to take some of this off my shoulders. And I was like, gladly. And it was an exciting time because that was when I think President Obama had just been elected. And that was when the Democrats kind of had that their moment. So there was a lot of legislation happening, Dodd-Frank and Obamacare that, you know, we started talking about. So it really gave me an idea of like, oh, wow, this is really cool that we get to like, like all of this legislation, like how it directly impacts our industry and our practices. So I did that. And then I kind of kind of forayed into, I created something called Money Moxie that basically did like boot camps on investing in money for women. Um, living in New York City, I had a lot of great single girlfriends. And I started realizing like, we never talk about money. We never talk about our finances. And there's so much um, misunderstanding. Like a lot of my friends would be like, my IRA is in Boston. Like, how do I get it? And I'm like, no, that's where Fidelity is based. That's not where your IRA is. <laughs> but it was just a lot of that kind of just misunderstanding. So I was like, there's a real need for women my age and younger, older to just understand, have a better, like, create a safe space for them so that you're asking all the questions and they're not dumb. They're very important and you feel confident enough to get that, get that knowledge and understanding. So I did that for a while, but it was just not a very good business, like business plan. Um, and that's when I landed at JP Morgan, uh, which was a great job. I loved it so much. It was, uh, I was a retirement strategist for about five years there. Um, and we were a team, small team of about four or five people. We created the guide to retirement. And if anyone's ever used like the guide to the market, which um, JP Morgan does a great job of, it's kind of like the sister to it in terms of like retirement. So we did a lot of deep dive research on, you know, longevity, on Medicare, on social security strategies, you know, withdrawal rate strategies, like income replacement. Like we did just a lot of modeling and a lot of creating assumptions and, um, you know, coming down with like, what do we think about this, you know, retirement, you know, topic. So I did a lot of that, a lot of research. And again, a lot of speaking. I went all over the country in Canada talking about some of our research and that was exciting. And then layoffs happened and I was one of them. And, you know, I always take it as an opportunity. I was like kind of bummed for 20 minutes and I was like, okay, what's next? And I had looked at other jobs and a lot, you know, throughout my career, I realized, okay, I'm a subject matter expert. I can travel. I can go to Omaha, Nebraska for the seventh time, or I could go to Sacramento, California for the 16th time. But really what's meaningful to me? What do I really want to use all of this experience and knowledge for? And I, I guess I went back to my immigration lawyer roots and said, what was the most gratifying to me 
was actually making a direct impact on someone's life. And I decided conveniently right before a pandemic <laughs> to <laughs> become a financial advisor. I'd met Tony Conte from Conte Wealth Advisors years before. I think I was actually presenting at a Cambridge conference with Andy Friedman's like work. And I'd met him and he, you know, kind of was talking about like, you should, you should think about this. This is, you know, you'd be great, great at that. And we kept in touch. He was very encouraging. And then when I was really thinking about this more recently, you know, he was very supportive, him and his father. And, um, and separately having worked with pretty much all the financial, like all of the firms throughout my career, all, every channel, like every RIA, every, you know, wirehouse independent, I always came back to Cambridge. I like genuinely always thought like Cambridge was the most independent. It would let you be the most whoever you are. Um, and so I was really excited to have this opportunity to join Conte Wealth and work um, through Cambridge. Talk about the risks, if any, because I can tell from your personality that you're, like you said, took you 20 minutes. Uh, we have that in common. I allow myself a few minutes to feel sorry for myself when something happens and then I realize Everything happens for a reason. I should start yeah. looking for it um, and figure out how to move forward. But were there any that you identified that you that made you at least for that 20 minutes a little uncomfortable about going independent and taking that risk of building your own business and really switching over to providing advice to the people that you were just describing that needed you? I mean, I absolutely had doubts. I have doubts this I had doubts this morning. You know, like I feel like choosing this this life is not for everybody, especially the way that I did it. You know, there are other people that will join a firm, will buy a book, um, but the way I did it was extremely risky. And so I'm always like, what are you doing? <laughs> but but uh, alternate, you know, on the other hand, the other benefit of joining Cambridge is you get to have several OBAs, like outside business activities, which has also helped sustain me, like working with other like fintech companies and being, being a subject matter expert and working with other companies, I'm able to sustain myself as I build this business. But, but I, I think there's always, um, you're always going to have like doubts. You're always, you know, whether it's feeling like, oh, who's going to trust me? Like having this imposter syndrome and feeling like, how, how am I even helping my clients? Am I really doing the best for them? And I've come to a place where I feel like that's a good thing. Like be question yourself, like work, work a little harder. Like don't get comfortable and say, oh yeah, this guy, he, this is his risk tolerance. This is like lifestyle. Obviously we're going to put him in this strategy and I'm going to meet with him like in November. It's like, no, like, you know, this is someone's they're putting their, their like livelihoods and their future in your hands. And I take that really seriously. And I'm actually, because I get to choose my clients, like I'm honored to do this. And so I really want to do the best that I can for them. So I'm, I'm constantly like double, triple, quadruple checking myself. <laughs> I think that's great advice. Thank you for sharing that and being so transparent to the audience. So you talked a lot about your years of experience and research. Let's talk about how that experience actually helps you today with your business when you're working with the investing public on, you know, how do you take the trends that you're seeing and turn that into the advice that you're providing to those clients? That's a great question. I love the research part of it. I love being around really smart people. So I really enjoyed my time at JP Morgan because it really helped me deepen my like understanding of certain topics and ask deeper questions. So not just the superficial, like, you know, whatever this, the question is, but ask like the second, third and fourth question. And I, 
I still do that. On the one hand, I still provide content. I still do a lot of education, especially because I work with a lot of women. So they do demand like education, like what's this, what's that? What are we doing? Is, is my, why is my, why is my money going down? Like, and I do like events. I, I do a lot of like seminars during the pandemic because I couldn't like reach out to people in live. I would do a lot of webinars on like, what does the CARES Act mean to you? Like, what are the things that you can apply for? How do you apply for it? So I did a lot of education. And so I think my background helps, helps me with that. Um, I don't, I, I'm, I always write my own newsletter. I come, I just feel like with that expertise, but also combined with your own personality, I think that's what makes you relatable. And that's where you're providing this information, but you're also yourself. I think that's kind of a benefit that, that I can bring to the table. Um, as far as like trends and, and how I work with clients based on the trends, like one of the biggest trends I'm seeing, especially as, as like a past retirement strategist, I'm seeing like the idea of retirement and work as not mutually exclusive anymore. Like basically people work, they leave, work, they retire, they go back to work, they retire. And similarly, people aren't just downsizing anymore. People are also living in two different places. So I think like the idea of retirement has always been evolving. And especially now as we're starting to see like Gen Xers start to look forward to retirement, I think their idea of it is extremely different. So one of the things that I try to bring to the table with my clients is I want them to dream. Like, I'm like, what are you thinking about for the next five years? And they're like, oh my God, I don't really know. Like, I mean, maybe I'll buy a new car. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, where do you want to travel to? What do you do? Like, that's really fun that you want to do more of. And I think doing that helps prepare people for that time in their life, whatever it is. And it helps us like help them refine their goals. So they're like, I want to do this and this and this. I'm like, all right. So based on your finances, let's do a version of that, that we can plan for and that you can do, like you can actually maximize your money and your time in whatever state of retirement you're in. Would you say, a couple of follow-up questions to that, would you say that the majority of your clients are Gen Xers or are, is it still very much a boomer society and you're just starting to see the Xers come in? I, I've actually been working mainly with Gen Xers, young millennials. That's, I guess those are the people that come to my seminars or people that know me or get I get referrals to. So I would say the majority of my clients are like under 65. And they're getting ready for retire. So it's, I think it's an interesting time because there's a lot of people, especially again, especially the women that I work with who are just getting divorced at 50. And they're like, whoa, I was married for 30 years. And now I have to understand, like, I know what I have money. I don't know where it is because my husband took care of it. And so it's a lot of, um, you know, people that are kind of in transition at a very crucial time in their life. Um, so what I try to do is while they're trying to get their life together, whether it's through a divorce or if they're building a business, I'm trying to help them focus on what their priorities should be down the road. And then when you build content, how are you delivering that, given that that is the segment that you're serving? Are, and, and has that changed over the last couple of years? Were you doing something before that you know, you've adjusted now, but given the dynamics of those generations, and I would assume many of your clients are around the area you are, where travel is not, you know, to a seminar isn't sometimes what they want to do to go face to face. Are you doing a lot of this virtually? You know, I, I do a few, a little bit virtually. I feel like people are sick of Zoom. <laughs> so I do a lot of live events and I do them with wine. You know, I, I try to like make it 
very accessible. So one of the things that I've been trying to launch this year is something like a Tupperware party, but but we don't sell Tupperware and we talk about money. <laughs> so it's it's more about like, you know, I have a, a, a client or somebody who's an ally and I'm like, listen, bring your friends together. I'm going to bring some Prosecco and some a cheese plate and we're going to talk about, you know, social, social security strategies for women. Or we're going to talk about, um, you know, investing after 50. Or we're going to talk about something extremely specific to that group of, of people. And it's going to be a very informal time so i will deliver like the content in a very informal way so it's going to be excellent content like very well researched and very simple like i've kind of ascribed to the jp morgan way of like using one chart on the slide and then talking through it like telling it through a story and not having a lot of words but just like here's the chart here's the three things you should know about this chart and here's how you apply it to your life but really just making it here's this great information but I'm here, like, what's your question? Let's talk about it. And then, I mean, I'm sure you'll know too, that when women get in a room, it's like they start talking over you, <laughs> which is great because then you know you've got that place where people are comfortable, they're learning from each other, they're sharing and they and it builds a confidence. So if you don't know everything, it doesn't matter. It's just, you need to have enough confidence in yourself to be like, I think I'm gonna start investing or I think I'm gonna add more money to my investment. I know the market is rocky, but I kind of, I think this is what I should be doing. So. I think that's a great idea. And then what about after that? So you're fortunate enough to get a couple of those women to do exactly what you just described, which is start to think about investing. How do your interactions work with your clients after that? Are they, um, do you, you know, do they try to get a lot of the information from you online, through social media? Are you doing client meetings? How do those work? I, uh, I consider myself one of those high touch advisors. So I'm very, and again, I mean, I'm still building my practice, so I don't have like thousands of clients, um, but I do try to meet with clients about three times a year. A lot of times people, what I'm learning is you're kind of a therapist <laughs> as an advisor. So, and some people come to money with a lot of anxiety and I've had some clients say, you know what, I can't, I don't want to talk about money right now. I'll talk to you in November. That's totally cool. But for the most part, I try to reach out and say, hey, here's our, here's like, you know, put together something this, this um, in January, send it to them. Like, what are your five bucket list items for this year? What are your five money goals for this year? Here's a checklist of things we should be doing each quarter. So just like little touches. Um, and then let's schedule our first quarter meeting like end of March. So, so I try to like keep them on track and kind of train them that I'm going to meet with you three, two to three times a year. And I mean, in doing so, it depends on the person, but some of them will reach out and be like, hey, I got some, I got this stock options so of what should I be doing? Or let's set up a schedule for that. I have this rollover. I just remembered about this, or I just left my job. What should I be doing? So I put together a newsletter. I send it out, I believe once or twice, once a month or once every two months. So I stay on top of them that way. Um, I also have a women's event that I'm, I, I do every year. This is the second year I'm doing it. And it's it's an, an, such a great panel of women in business busting barriers. <laughs> so it's like four women from the Hudson Valley um, that have businesses that have, that also have like really compelling backstories that we just kind of get together in this really beautiful historic building on, on Main Street. And it's just, it's more of a community building thing, but it's really, it really helped me last year. And it's really helping me now as I'm marketing for it because people already know about it and they really loved it last year. It's 
great networking, but it's also very inspiring because the women, you know, it's like, I just let them tell their stories. You know, I just want like, how did you manage the pandemic? What are you, you know, how did you manage building a business while you were getting divorced and taking care of your three children? Like all the, all the things that women deal with, and I'm sure men do too, but specifically women having, being more the caretakers and, you know, um, they just, you know, it's just, it's just interesting to hear like all the things that they do and can do. Um, and if I think somebody sitting in the audience is very much like, wow, this is very inspiring. So, so that's your other niche, right? Businesses, small businesses in particular, are those women that you have on that panel always clients of yours or are you, you said it was a community event. Are you going out and, and doing some research to figure out if there's a small business women, woman owner that everybody would benefit from hearing? Do you invite them then to speak on the panel? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like it's uh, this panel, I think one person is my client. Last panel, one person was my client, but um, the other women I met through like other women. So just based on networking, who do you know who does this? Or I know this, I know of this woman, do you know her? Can you make an introduction? So I'm very aggressive <laughs> when it comes, I tried not, I try to like tone it down a little bit. So I'm not stalkerish, but, um, <laughs> but I do try to like focus and say, you know, there's, there's a, it's a very specific, um, it's a very specific theme um, that I try to have in my panel. It's not like, it's not just, uh, I mean, Every woman business owner is unique in her own way, but what I try to do is show a very variation of businesses, a variation of backstories, different generations, you know, people who are maybe women of color, um, women of socioeconomic diversity, women who are LGBTQ. So it's just like, how are you navigating your small business in this world, in your life? That's really admirable. Thank you for doing that. What's the attendance at the events? typically last last year was the very first one. Um, and it was about 60 people. Wow. It's exciting. Like it's, it's, uh, people I think, and everyone, I mean, post pandemic, everyone wants to just be out meeting people. So it's good too. Yeah, no, that's great. That's a really good turnout. And I think some of our advisors might ask, so I'm going to do it for them, especially, you know, there's always a balance of where you make the investment in your business where you spend your resources, especially when you're in the building phase. So do you get any financial support from any other areas? You just said sell tickets and then you change that. So are they, is it the event free? How do you, or are you covering all the expenses when it really comes to putting some, something like that together? Yeah. So this event is, a, I, I build it as a community building event. So it's not, it's, there's no cost. The space is a nonprofit and they're lovely people. And it's a very minimal cost to rent the space. And then, I mean, I'm like a swindler. Like I'll go to a wine store and be like, I need a case. Can you give me a 25% discount? And then he'll be like, I'll give you 20. And I'm like, great. <laughs> so <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So I think like I, this, co- this last year and this year I'm covering the cost because they're, they're pretty minimal. And I also, I think there's a lot of value in working with our partners, uh, you know, mutual fund, ETF, whatever fund uh, partners, um, because they do have money to help us build our business. And I'd rather use my partners if they are going to help me, I'd rather use it in something that might be a little bit more expensive (laughs) and um, maybe more specific to very specific people. This is more, to me, this is like 
I, I feel like I know how to do this. And I also have this year, I'm going to have some support from Conte Wealth. Some of the, you know, some of the people are going to come up and help me, which is really awesome. So that's, that's going to be great. But but I think, yeah, working with our partners is really important and very helpful, especially because I think they, some of them have great content that they can provide a lot of insights, a lot of research that only helps to like reinforce our own brand if we use it wisely. It sounds like as well, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but to a large extent, your interest in giving back and making a difference, this is as much about that as it is about some sort of prospecting event, right? You're attempting in the community to make a difference to the people that you have identified as having a need. So that's to be congratulated for sure. Thank you. Thanks. It's fun. So you touched on a couple of things there around um, diversity and equality, and we are so grateful to have you as a member of our Cambridge Diversity, Equality, and Inclusion Advisory Council. So thank you for giving us your time. What made you want to come forward to be a part of that group and invest time towards those efforts? I mean, I um, I met Melissa, Melissa Rakenwald um, last year at the women's Cambridge Women's Event, and I saw the panel. I thought it was really awesome. I was just really excited about it, and I, you know, and then I asked for her to come on our Conte Wealth Advisor meetings. So she she and Judy also came and spoke a little bit as our guests, and I was like, I really want to be part of this. Like, I think this would be a really good place for me to, you know, network, but also learn more about the other like diverse groups within Cambridge and also be able to be a voice for, I guess, my background as well. And, you know, make it, make it, you know, I guess, heighten it in, in a way. So, so yeah, I'm really happy to be on it, on the, the council. I think my angle is that because I'm a first generation child of immigrants, um, I grew up feeling very different. I grew up like eating hummus sandwiches when hummus wasn't cool. Now everyone's like three-year-old knows what hummus is. But when I was growing up, like I would bring it to school and it was smelly and people didn't know what it was. And they were like, what's that bread? I'm like, and I didn't know what the word pita, the word pita is, was. I knew it only in Arabic. So I would say it's Hubzadabi. And they're like, what? And like, <laughs> I think it's Hubzadabi. And they're like, I don't know what you're saying. And I'm like, but that's what the bread is. And so I really felt very um, different. Um, and, and I think, you know, growing up, you're just so devastated that your name isn't Jennifer, Jennifer and like, you're not blonde and you're not like, don't look like everybody else. But as I got older, obviously I'm embraced the, the difference, the difference that I have in me and like how different I am from other people or how different I grew up. And I think it's, it just helps you relate to people in a different way. But I think what, what's really important too is that this community of like immigrants, right? It's like the, the family that owns a dry cleaner, the family that owns a construction company, they have a lot of money. There's a lot of misconception that, oh, they probably don't understand finances or, you know, they need, maybe they don't need help, but they, they do need help. They just probably invest in a different way. I know my father, you know, he came here with like no money. He was, you know, he went to school till eighth grade and then he became a welder and then he learned the trades and he came to America and like becoming a plumber. And then he built his own business and he just, and then he started buying real estate and he never trusted the stock market because he didn't understand it. And real estate, he could drive by and be like, that's my house, <laughs> that's my land. And he just knew exactly where it was. And he knew that that was his equity, that was his wealth. Um, and I think there's a lot of families like, like that, that need, you know, education, but also like help and like understanding, like, all right, so you have your, you have your real estate. That's awesome. Let's look at something else. Or you have your business. What's your succession plan? Let's help you do that. Um, and I think there's a huge 
there's a huge opportunity there to work with those communities. It's just a matter of understanding them. I hear frequently that trust is the big issue there, and that is why it is so important, in my opinion, for our industry to continue to expand our the access to people from their communities who have our specialty so that they we can get over that obstacle. So that, you know, I don't trust the stock market, but I might if somebody with my background that I did trust would explain it to me, is what I just yep. heard you say. And I do hear that quite frequently. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or just take the time to explain it. You, you don't necessarily have to be that background. I mean, that helps. But just sit down and have like lunch at your at the restaurant and like be like, hey, let me show you a chart of like historical performance of what your dollar, hundred dollars can do over five, 10, 20 years. And, you know, it's just meeting them where they are might be just the best first step. Well said. Absolutely. So we talked earlier a little bit about you working closely with millennials and Xers, helping them prepare for their life events. Does their planning process look any different than your other generational clients that you do have potentially in a boomer environment or, you know, there's, there's five different generations out there. So I think, um, I think for the, like the main, my main group of clients that are, that are Gen Xers, there is a lot of planning. There's a lot more planning. There's a lot of catch up. There's a lot of figuring out, you know, uh, what the next 10 years or the last 20 years of their working career is gonna look like. And like I said before, I think a lot, some of it has to do with me helping them create what the priorities are. Like right now they're like, oh, okay, I'm starting a business and my child is going to college or this is happening. So, and I'm thinking like, yes, that's important, but you know, I don't think you're ready for retirement at where you are right now. Let's get you over that hump. Let's make that kind of, let's, let's make it, move it from like third place to like first place and your child's gonna be fine, you know? So I think it's like helping them reprioritize um, is that's definitely key for um, Gen Xers because they have so much going on. It's like such an interesting time and you're like 45 to 55 to 60. It's like caring for family, children going, like leaving the house and coming back and you know, job transition and people being affected by the pandemic still. So I think there's a lot of, interesting planning in that group. I have a lot of older millennials that are couples. So they're, it's really cute because they're like, have a baby and they're planning for their baby and, you know, they're buying a house and it's, it's a different type of planning um, because it's, you know, their priorities are different and, you know, their, their earnings are growing and it's exciting to see that too. So it's exciting to see the small family and their finances start to grow and expand along. So um, that's really fun. And then for, I have a few boomer clients who they're set, like they're set. They're like, we're good. <laughs> they, uh, so just don't very, lose it. Just don't lose yeah, it. Right? Yeah, exactly. Don't lose it. They're the ones that will call me all the time. Be like, Oh my God, my money, I'm down, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or $50,000. I'm like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously I say more, but, um, Do you see any of the wealth transfer that we've been talking about for 20 years happening yet? And does that impact anything that you do in your business? You know, I think what's happening with wealth transfer is more people are giving it away during life. Um, I think that's a very big trend that I'm seeing. And I I actually encourage that among like my family, my um, older clients. It's like, it's your money, Um, you know, show like show your love that way or, um, 
find, you know, find like, it's, it's a way to like share something with like your grandchild or your child or, or help them with a business or buy something. So I see a lot of people, um, uh, giving their money away during life. I don't necessarily, I, you know, actually I have seen, I have, I have actually a few, a few clients who came to me because they have a lot of inheritance. So I am seeing that actually. Yeah. It had to happen eventually, but I like the trend you're describing personally about giving it away through life because I feel like I would want to see the impact that that made while I was here and be totally. able be able to enjoy it. So I think that's a great trend. All right, Lena, the time has come for my other absolute favorite question, which is what do you do for fun besides drinking wine with your clients, which sounds like a <laughs> phenomenal approach to me. Um, how do you spend your free time away from work? Um, well, I mean, let's see. I mean, I'm lucky to live between New York City and the Hudson Valley, which is a beautiful area of like mountains and wineries and distilleries and beautiful food and farms. So um I love being in both areas. I love to, you know, have dinner parties, frankly, like cook and have people over. So, you know, some of them are clients, some of them, some of them are just friends. So I do a lot of um, dinner parties, especially because I waited so long to buy a house. And now I'm like, oh my God, now I can have a dinner party and people can be outside and inside and the fireplace and, you know, everything. So I do a lot of that, a lot of outdoor stuff, out hike, hiking and cycling. And I do some, um, so I just started doing hot yoga, which is not a cute look, but very good for you. <laughs> And then um, I've also like in the past, I've done a lot of like comedic writing. So I did like stand up a long time ago. I did improv. I did sketch comedy. I wrote like a play for um, the New York uh, Fringe Festival. And recently I've been doing storytelling. So this area up here, they do a lot of um, performance. So a lot of people come up and you tell a story for seven or eight minutes. So, I, I mean, I don't know if you can tell, but I talk a lot and I have a lot of stories. So um, I think, again, my background helped me like with all those stories, like those awkward moments in childhood turned into like really funny stories. Um, so I do some of that as well and travel. Yeah. That sounds like a fantastic life. You are a fascinating person with a lot of different um, interests. I would have not guessed improv and comedy, though I can see it now that you said it. So that is, you know, I don't know, attorneys and comedians don't usually fall into the same personality for me. So yeah, yeah no, you'd be surprised, though, how many attorneys turn into comedians. Really? That's yeah. Yeah. That is awesome. Well, I guess I can see a little bit of that. Our corporate attorneys here do tend to be very funny, too. So I can, I can see that. I can see that. Thank you so much for taking time with us today. You are a great example of Cambridge Stronger, and I've been really fortunate to get to know you better through this podcast. And I hope our listeners get a lot of value out of the advice that you gave them today. Thanks for having me, Amy. This was really great. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app.